I gave the wrong passage. Um, I said Matthew 5. I'll actually ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. That was my mistake. Um, still learning how the Sermon on the Mount works. So, uh, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. I've been reflecting on the fact that um, Christ uh, teaches this sermon on the Mount. He only has a certain amount of uh, space or only a certain amount of the sermon was recorded uh, for us. And one of the things that he wanted to teach us was about anxiousness, was about uh, anxiety. And so I've, I've been thinking about this and praying about this, and, um, and I'm, I'm excited to, to bring God's word to us this evening from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word this evening. Father, we ask now that you would do the work that no man can do. Lord, send out your Holy Spirit to make hard hearts, my hard heart, all of our hard hearts, soft and pliable and receptive to your word. And Jesus, glorify yourself. Pray that we would see your great love, the way you set the fathers care for us, on display for us, and that we would be transformed by your radiance and your glory and your beauty. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe this has never happened to you, but your heart starts to race, your mind starts to narrow on just one thing that you're focused on, that you're scared about, that you don't know how it will turn out. Maybe you're up in the middle of the night and you're worried because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. One person has called 
this catastrophizing, imagining the worst possible outcome, starting to dream about all the details working out exactly the worst they could, and then living in that future reality inside of your own imagination and your own heart as if that catastrophe was crashing just wave after wave on top of you. I'm trying to describe what I've experienced as anxiety, as a fearfulness about the future, about being troubled. One of the words the New Testament uses is uh, uh, to be shaken up by terrifying and scary future that I cannot control. Um, Young ladies uh, right now in their uh, teen years are being diagnosed with anxiety and depression more than it's ever happened, if I'm accurate on that detail before. And it's, uh, it's a widespread and, um, and common experience. And Jesus takes time, as I said, to sit his disciples and sit those who were on the mountain down with him and teach them and call them not to give themselves to this common fearful uh, response toward a future that's unknown. He talks about very ordinary things. Where is my next meal going to come from? How will I clothe myself? Um, Anxiety is self-referential. It assumes that we live in a closed universe, in in a, a world of cause and effect that we have to have power over, and if we don't do something to provide for ourselves, to structure our future, and then accomplish that, the world is hanging on our shoulders and the troubles that we face are totally up to us. Anxiety says, if I don't do this, if I'm not my own provider for the future, I'll have nothing that I need. One person has described this as the anti-Psalm 23, I and my own shepherd, and if I don't affect my future and worry enough about my future, I will not have anything that I need. Well, what does Jesus do How does Jesus speak to our anxious hearts this evening? How does he cut through all of that and see real people uh, struggling with with real fears about needs, real needs that that we need this evening, and how does he address all of that? Well, before we dive into our passage, I want to just say two things that were very, very striking about this passage and the context of it. The first word, if you notice, of verse 25 is the word, therefore, And Jesus is connecting this teaching on anxiety to the teaching that he's just had on laying up treasure in heaven, not laying up treasure in this world. He's saying something like, if we love this world, the possessions, the comfort of this world, our heart will be attached to that, and then certainly anxiety will come because we love this age, we love the treasures of this world. And so his teaching from anxiety flows from what he said about not treasuring things in this world. He said, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot put your identity and your hope and your confidence in what you can accomplish in this world and store up in this world and then put your trust in that. So that's the first thing to notice about the context of this teaching on anxiety. The second is a pattern that was very, very um, 
just striking and beautiful to me this uh, last days as I was reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount. And the, the, the pattern is that Jesus teaches something in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he connects it to your Father who is in heaven. He teaches a reality, and then he says, the reason you should do that is because this truth about your Father. So let me read just a few uh, passages to prove this to you, and you'll see the pattern right away. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do your good works Show them, maybe we don't think that much, uh, think about that very often. Show your good works so that they will be seen, and then your Father will get glory. Matthew 5, 45, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. As you love your enemies, you will start to resemble your Father. Notice the reference again to the Father. Matthew 6, verse 3. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so your giving may be secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your Father knows everything about you. He sees everything. Give secretly because you are living in the presence of your Father. Same principle with prayer. Don't pray loudly and to be noticed and praised. Pray knowing that you're praying in the presence of your Father. And then Matthew 6, verse 7, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Do you notice that pattern over and over again? He's going to lay out a teaching about the kingdom that He's proclaiming and announcing. This is how those who are uh, residents of this new kingdom that He is inaugurating will live And he says it's all connected and makes sense and is grounded in the relationship that you have with your Father. Well, I want to say briefly then from this passage, I want us to look at anxiety's cause first, and then secondly, anxiety's cure. I know this is not uh, an orthodox sermon because it only has two points. Anxiety's cause and anxiety's cure. I just couldn't come up with a third C. So, anxiety's cause, anxiety's cure. Jesus highlights two areas of basic necessities, food and clothing, as sources of anxiety. I think it could reference any aspect of provision in our life. And I want to say about anxiety, when he says, do not be anxious, anxiety from this passage is a a fearful expectation of uncertain future. When we fear and we're anxious, we're going to see we reduce our existence, we reduce the glory of what God has created and done to provide for us to the things that we're afraid of. There's a diminishment, there's a reduction that happens because of our anxiety. Notice how he says that in the passage. Verse 25, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? See, when you worry about these things, when you're anxious about these things, you reduce the glory of life, you reduce the glory of 
humanity to food and to clothing. Anxiety diminishes the totality, the comprehensiveness of what God has gifted to us down to the one thing that we're afraid of, and it causes us to be blind to, to the spectrum of what God has put us in. Calvin talked about creation as the theater of God's glory for us to see, and Jesus is going to prove his point from the theater of creation, uh, as we're going to see. Uh, anxiety blinds us to the comprehensiveness of the gift that God has given us in creation. But he doesn't just tell you this evening to stop it, to stop being anxious. Uh, if you have tried to help someone who is very, very anxious, um, I have probably done this, and I've probably been on the receiving end of it too. If you just tell someone uh, you're worried about the wrong things, cut it out, um, that's right. It's actually a good thing to say. In, in a sense, it's true. But it doesn't accomplish um, the effect because you also have to give reasons. You have to demonstrate why um, we need to stop being fearful and anxious. And notice what then Jesus goes to say. He takes his disciples who are on the mountain with him and he says, look up. Look up at the sky. See the birds of the air. Um, Jesus didn't uh, need to help you imagine what birds are like. He had birds fluttering above him and could show his disciples the birds. And he says, they're not anxious about what they're going to eat. They don't have to sow and they don't have to reap like farmers. They don't have to gather and plan and think and be anxious about their future. God the Father provides for them. Beautiful psalms talk about God's providing for animals. Psalm 147 says, He gives to the beasts their food, to the young ravens that cry. Or Psalm 104, You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkey quenches its thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. God does all of that. He is in the business of feeding and caring for animals all over his creation. And Jesus wants you to look up into the sky when you see birds and remember your father cares for birds enough to feed them daily and give them what they need. And then he just asks this question, don't you think he cares about you more? He argues from the lesser to the greater. He says, if your father is gushing water out into all creation, if he is caring for beasts and birds and all manner of creatures, don't you think he has concern for you? Don't you think he values you as his prime creation, as the image of God? Your father knows what you need and will provide for you. Or he tells them not only to look up, he tells them, look out now, look around you in the field. So I was reflecting on a very snowy experience right now. Maybe you need to really work hard to imagine this. Uh, we're in a season of extreme cold and snow, but remember there was a season called fall before this. 
There was a summer before it. There was something called warm sun that shined and gave us warmth and delight. Before that was spring. And just remember in your mind's eye the flowers just bursting with color and delight. And Jesus says, look at all these flowers. If in the first image God is like a cook that carefully plans meals and structures a meal plan for all creation, for birds particularly. In this image, God is like a tailor. He's laid out the splendor of the glory of these flowers. And he says, God clothes these flowers with beauty. And Jesus doesn't just want us to notice the splendor of creation, but he wants to drive home the point Don't you see that if God cares for the lilies of the field, he will also provide for you. He will also clothe you. Again, Jesus is correcting the diminishing of value that happens in our own hearts when we fixate and are anxious. Aren't you of more value than they? This is the the cause of our anxiousness, to anticipate the future, to doubt God's protection and is providing for us, that he knows the needs of his creation and therefore so much more will he know the needs of his children and provide for them. Well, what's the cure? Where do we go with that? What has God done? And where does Jesus take his disciples next? Well, he says in verse 32 then, he summarizes verse 31, therefore don't be anxious, saying, where shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Remember the pattern. He teaches, he says, pray, give, do good deeds, because your Father, you're living in the presence of your Father, and in the same way he says, don't be anxious about these things, because your Father knows that you need them all. He doesn't say, just try to ignore, just try to pretend that you don't need these things. He says, your Father knows that you need these things, and He cares for you. Your Father knows you intimately, and He cares for you. Um, I like to think that I know my kids and know what they need, um, it may be embarrassing when I call a, an insurance company and they ask me for the, the middle names of my kids and their birth dates, and I stumble through, oh, what was the year that my child was born? Um, uh, I was at a piano lesson recently, and my kids had a stack of piano books, and the teacher looks at me and says, you know, bring the, the books that are for this particular kid, and I said, I don't know which piano book they're in. Um, God, as our Father, knows us perfectly. He's not like that. He knows every detail, not just of what we want, but what we actually need. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to spend yourself being anxious and wearisome under the burden of your fears, because your Father knows all of what you need. Your Father knows, and He cares. Well, a second cure for anxiety is that oftentimes we're so fixated on our daily needs that we have mission drift. What I mean by that is we forget 
why we were enlisted into kingdom service. If you're a Christian, you were enlisted into a kingdom that has certain goals and purposes. And Jesus says, therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. One of the reasons for our anxiousness is that we're distracted by everyday things, and we forget God has set us on mission as Christians with a purpose to be a light in the dark world, to be members of his church. Every Christian has a role in the church of God's working and kingdom, and therefore every Christian is set on that task of seeking the ideals, the purposes of the king of the kingdom and the righteousness that flows from that kingdom. See, we don't just live to amass, as Jesus said in the section before this, just to amass comfortable possessions in this world, do the best planning with them, and then enjoy them the rest of our days or pass them on to our children. Your life is so much more uh, glorious and meaningful than just amassing comfortable possessions and then living well the rest of your life. That would give you a certain kind of happiness, and Jesus says, don't seek that as your ultimate goal. It will destroy you. You will anxiously, fearfully be consumed by it. Seek the kingdom of your Father. And then these other things will be added to you. And then he says very simply, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for its day is its own trouble. You can take one day at a time, prayerfully entrust what you're heart's desires and concerns are to your father today and push off the concerns. You're not the father. You aren't the one in control of tomorrow and the future. You don't need to direct. You don't need to worry about what's coming and how to change and accomplish your own future. Your father knows what you need. Well, I want to close just answering the question, the simple question. Uh, You may be thinking, I've heard these things. I've reflected on these things. They just don't feel true. Um, I have tried not to be anxious. I've tried to apply Jesus' words, but I, I don't know. How do I know that the Father really cares for me? Um, one of the problems with anxiety is when you have gone through certain situations in your life, you start to take the past history of your life and you start to map it out onto your future. If this person acted this way toward me when I spoke this way, it's going to happen again and again and again. And you think, I have good reason to be anxious. I know what it's like to suffer, and I don't know for certain if my father cares about me. How do you know? What has God done in history to answer that problem? It just doesn't feel true. I'm not sure that the father really cares for me. See, Jesus would not only call you this evening to look up to the birds, to look out to the field, but he would call his disciples to look forward to his cross. He would say, this is the evidence of the Father's love for you. 
I am going to a cross to put on display the fact that the things that you genuinely need, the thing that you need most in this world, is a Savior who loved you enough to lay down his life for you. This is the logic of Romans 8. He, the Father, who did not spare his most loved Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, together with Jesus, give you everything that you need? See, the evidence and the proof, even when it doesn't feel true, that the Father knows what you need and will actually take care of you tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, is that he's given the Son the most loved son, to suffer the dreadful curse, the curse that our fears and our anxieties caused Jesus to have to bear. The evidence, the proof that God will take care of you and guarantee to you that you don't need to be anxious and afraid. The certification was certified with blood on a cross. And if you feel diminished in the night, if you feel like God is not able to provide for me in the future, if your heart is racing and you're wondering, I don't know what tomorrow will hold. The Father tells us how he planned and then he accomplished our redemption. If anxiety reduces, if it makes us small, notice the language again. We reflected on it this morning, but notice the language again of Ephesians 1 verse 7. It says, we have redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the wealth, the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. The Father doesn't look at anxious children worrying about tomorrow and drop little drips of what we need graciously on us. He just dumped buckets of his merciful love and grace on us through his son. And he tells you this even. You can take that promise into every single day of your fears, of your uncertainty, of not knowing, can I actually trust this God? Can I actually believe this Father to know what I need? He says, if I cared for you, my son, my daughter, in this way, if I gave Jesus for you and I lavished the riches of my wealth on you in kindness, won't I provide for you in every other thing that you truly need? We um, watch almost every year, It's a Wonderful Life, at the end of the year. And uh, it's a movie about a financial uh, uh, lender. His name is George Bailey. He runs a building and loan company. And there's a great misfortune where his uncle, who was supposed to deposit $8,000 in the bank at the end of the day, misplaces it. And it it falls into the hands of the worst person, the great enemy of the Bailey family, uh, Mr. Potter, gets a hold of this money and then orchestrates the end of the the Bailey Building and Loan Company. He makes it so that everybody's fearful and they make a run on the bank. And so Bailey starts to catastrophize. He starts to say, what is the point of my life? Why should I even be living? And he's brought through that moment, and at the very end of the story, 
those that he had uh, poured into, those that he had just slowly, gradually uh, entrusted with money come, and they just dump on him the wealth that will make him be able to make it through one more day. And the Father hasn't just dumped on us sufficient money for each day. He's dumped on us the wealth of the riches, the lavish kindness of Jesus. And he just promises to you tonight, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to guard you. I know what you need. And I will provide for you. And so you don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. Sufficient for each day is the trouble. So may we be a people who trust a father who knows what we need, who's given us what we need most, and who can live each day confident, resting in the knowledge that the Father cares for us and he will give us everything that we need. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we want to live transformed lives because of these truths. Um, Lord, you did not just send Jesus to teach us the requirements of the Sermon on the Mount but then you sent your most loved son to die the consequences of a people not living in line with everything that you commanded, Lord. And then you transform us by your spirit to actually do these things, to actually live this way and to believe these truths will shape us, Lord, day by day and transform every moment of our life. Lord, make us a trusting people, a people who see the love of Jesus poured out lavishly on us, and enable us, Lord, then to trust you just for today, for the things that we need today, and to know that you care for us abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Lord, help us to be a people that come alongside others that are suffering and remind one another of this gospel truth. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to God's word by singing, When Peace Like a River.
dear people of God, he wants to bless you this evening. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you his peace. Amen.